In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sira Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to seerahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillah wa alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our studies of the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. Inshallah, we'll be starting with chapter number 8. Babu ma ja'a fi libasi rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The chapter about the clothing of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The first hadith of the chapter, Imam Tirmidhi says, حدثنا محمد بن حميد الرازي قال حدثنا الفضل بن موسى وأبو تميلة وزيد بن حباب عن عبد المؤمن بن خالد عن عبد الله بن بوريدة عن أم سلمة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان أحب الثياب إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم القميص Umm Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha says that the most beloved of clothing to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam was the qamis. Now, what does the qamis exactly mean and how is it defined? Obviously, this is a word that is used and borrowed um, in different cultures to refer to specific types of garment or clothing. At the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the qamis would basically refer to a garment that is worn from on top. So one of the fundamental um, aspects of that garment or that clothing is it's something that is stitched up, it's closed up, so it's not like a wrap. And because as we'll be reading in some later narrations that the Prophet would sometimes wear what would basically be two sheets. He would wrap the one sheet around his lower body and wear one like a shawl over his upper body. But the Prophet used to like the qamis the most. Now the qamis of the Prophet so again as I described, it's a garment that's worn from on top. It's a garment that is stitched and closed on both sides. And the qamis of the Prophet was such where it of course had an opening at the neck um, so that he could put his head through it. It would have stitched sleeves that were attached to it as well, similar to this. And the Prophet would have a button or... Uh, a couple of buttons that would basically close up after he had put it on. And the qamis of the Prophet ﷺ was, as we'll see in some other narrations, would basically go down to the middle of his shin, his shin bone. It would basically fall between his knee, the lower part of his knee, and his ankle. So it would fall to about there. If you want a little bit of a mental image of maybe a modern garment that would somewhat resemble it, then it wasn't too different looking than how a thobe 
typically in the Arab world, in the Arab culture, the type of thobe that men wear. Um, it was similar to that. Of course, it was a little bit maybe looser fitting than it's worn normally today. Um, and it was not as long as it's worn today, but it was a little bit shorter. Now, the next couple of narrations basically reiterate the same thing, but I'll explain it here at this opportunity. What does it, why, why was this so preferable to the Prophet ﷺ? So there's a couple of reasons. Number one was obviously the narrations mentioned in the, uh, the scholars a detail that because the qamis is astar. What astar means in the Arabic language is that it's better for covering one's body. <clears throat> that when the Prophet ﷺ would wear the other type of clothing where he would wrap it around himself, that was a type of clothing that of course you have to kind of manage it. And when the Prophet ﷺ would get up, when he would walk, when he would maybe ride an animal or something like that, then it's something that he would have to manage. And he would have to check to make sure that it was still wrapped up appropriately and it wasn't you know, opening up or unraveling or something like that. <clears throat> Excuse me. With the qamis, the Prophet ﷺ would have the convenience of where it's a stitched garment, it's basically worn from on top. So then he wasn't troubled by that. And he wouldn't have to worry about <clears throat> maybe this garment will open up and then you know it could possibly you know uncover one's body, it could expose one's body. So the Prophet ﷺ was not fearful of that. So that's one of the primary reasons why the Prophet ﷺ used to prefer this type of clothing. It was also very durable. It was something that you know, was easy to put on and easy to remove and take off as well. Um, and the other thing that it also mentions is that with a larger sheet, it was also difficult to store. <clears throat> so when the Prophet ﷺ was not wearing it, when he would go home and he would remove it, then at that point in time, you know, he would have to fold it up. Obviously, where do you put a big old sheet? Right? How do you hang something like that up? So the Prophet ﷺ would have to fold it up. Now obviously when you fold it up, and then you open it up to wear it again, now it has all those creases and the lines in it. Right? And while the Prophet ﷺ, of course, was not a vain person, but at the same time, the Messenger ﷺ was very particular about being presentable, and being dignified, and elegant in how he presented himself. <clears throat> so then that would become another issue that now you would have all these creases in the middle of the garment that you're wearing. With the qamis, the Prophet ﷺ actually had kind of like something like a hook or a nail in the wall and he would go and he would hang his qamis from there. And so then he wouldn't really have to you know, worry about ironing it or straightening it out so forth. <clears throat> the next hadith, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَلِي بْنُ حُجْرٍ قال حدثنا الفضل بن موسى عن عبد المؤمن ابن خالد عن عبد الله بن بريدة عن أم سلمة رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان أحب الثياب إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم القميص. So this is again from Ummul Mu'minin, the mother of the believers, Um سلمة رضي الله تعالى عنها, and it's identical to the previous narration. There's some extra comments from Imam Tirmidhi in some of the uh, versions uh, that are met, that are uh, narrated. Um, you don't have it in the text in front of you, but uh, some of the extra comments from Imam Tirmidhi in some of the versions of the book. <clears throat> Imam Tirmidhi says, قَالَ هَكَذَا قَالَ زِيَادُ بْنُ أَيُّوبِ فِي حَدِيثِهِ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ بُرَيْدَ عَنْ أُمِّهِ عَنْ أُمِّ سَلَمَةَ وَهَكَذَا رَوَى غَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ عَنْ أَبِي تُمَيْلَ مِثْلَ رِوَايَةِ زِيَادِ بْنِ أَيُّوبِ وَأَبُو تُمَيْلَ يَزِيدُ فِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَنْ أُمِّهِ وَهُوَ أَصَحْ 
It's just some extra commentary on the fact that Imam Tirmidhi is saying that this same narration comes through multiple different routes. So he's basically strengthening this narration, saying that this is a narration that can be found from many, many different, a multitude of different chains. <clears throat> the next hadith, he says, حدثنا عبد الله ibn Muhammad ibn al-Hajjaj قال حدثنا معاذ ibn Hisham قال حدثني أبي عن بوديل يعني ابن ميسرة العقيلي عن شهر ابن حوشب عن أسماء بنت يزيد قالت عن أسماء بنت يزيد رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت كان كان كم قميص رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى الرزق كان كم قميص رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إلى الرزق شي أسماء بنت يزيد رضي الله تعالى عنها <تصفيق> She says that the sleeve of that shirt of the Messenger وسلم, that he used to wear, that upper garment that he used to wear, used to reach his wrists. The sleeve would come down to his wrist. And so there's a little bit of commentary here from some of the uh, scholars of, that have explained the Shama'il and further researched other narrations and other ahadith. And they bring certain narrations which demonstrates the fact that there are some narrations which also mention that that the sleeves of the shirt, the qamis of the Messenger used to come a little bit below his wrist. So of course that's very easily resolved and reconcilable that normally it would fall to his sleeve. But then of course if he was sitting in a particular position, maybe if he you know, was kind of bending his arm or something, then it would come a little bit lower. But when he had his arm fully extended, it would be to his wrist. Now, what is the significance of that? I'm going to comment at the very end about just the overall ruling on clothing itself and how much we take and what we take from the narrations about the clothing of the Prophet ﷺ. But one of the things that can be commented on here is that the clothing of the Messenger ﷺ, even if we're not taking it identically or specifically, we generally still do extract some lessons from the clothing of the Messenger ﷺ. And one of the things that you find is that the Prophet ﷺ, if he wasn't wearing the shawl that would obviously then cover, he would completely wrap himself up in but then the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he wore a shirt, he basically wore the type of shirt that we would call a long sleeve shirt. And that was just generally because the Prophet of Allah ﷺ, even at the time of that culture, and to a degree, to an extent, we can say that about our culture today, um, is that wearing something with full sleeves that comes down to your wrist is generally considered to be something a little bit more professional. Uh, dare I say a little bit more adult. Um, and so it, it just... It was basically a more dignified way for the Prophet ﷺ that it was a more dignified way to dress. And so the Prophet ﷺ in his capacity as a leader, as an imam, as a counselor, as you know, such a resource for so many people and basically not just a representative of his community or his teachings, but a representative of God and a representative of Allah's religion and Allah's word, and Allah's kalam. The Prophet ﷺ presented himself in what we can call a professional manner. And so that also is something we can generally take from, that at the very least what we can take from is that in a professional setting, maybe not in one's private setting or in a casual setting, but at least in a professional setting, that was something that the Messenger ﷺ did you know, uh, make a point to dress in a particular manner. <clears throat> Hadith number five. 
Imam Tirmidhi says, حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ عَمَّارَ الْحُسَيْنُ بْنُ حُرَيْثِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبُوْ نُعَيْنِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا زُهَيْرِ عَنْ عُرْوَةِ بْنِ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ بْنِ قُرْشَيْرِ عَنْ مُعَاوِيَةِ بْنِ قُرَّةِ عَنْ أَبِيهِ قَالَ أَتَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ فِي رَهْطٍ مِنْ مُزَيْنَةٍ قال فأدخلت يدي في جيب في جيب قميصه صلى الله عليه وسلم فمسست الخاتم. This particular narration, Qurab bin Ilyas, rahimullah radiyallahu taala anhu, he narrates from his father Ilyas radiyallahu taala anhu. He says that I went to go see the messenger of messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم. Amongst a group of people from the tribe of Muzaina. So this was a particular tribe that came towards the end. Amul Wufud, the ninth year of Hijrah, the year before the Prophet ﷺ passed away, is known as the year of the delegations. And so there were different delegations that were arriving from far and wide to basically not only accept Islam, but if they had accepted Islam, to pledge their allegiance to the Messenger ﷺ. And to sit with him, to talk to him, to learn from him. So he says that I came to see the Messenger amongst a delegation from my tribe of Muzaina, and we came to basically offer the oath of allegiance to the Prophet And he says that his shirt, his qamis was open. So then where, you, where he would place his head through, it was open. Or he says that the button was undone. So that's only significant to basically signify the fact that the shirt of the Prophet ﷺ, obviously, it was a little bit, you know, it would open up a little bit, it was a little bit open, it had a slit so that he would be able to place his head through. But it's not like where the Prophet ﷺ would then, didn't have any buttons on and he would leave it open. And again, kind of generally what we can take from that is that the Prophet ﷺ preferred, even though it's not the necessary part of the aura of a man, the upper chest is not a part of the aura of a man that can be open and uncovered, and it's not a sin for it to be done so. But again, the Prophet preferred to be dressed in a dignified manner, to again be very professional in how he presented himself in public, in the community. And so the Prophet did have buttons on his shirt. And so the, he says that the button of the shirt of the Prophet was undone. And so this could, be, this could have been done for a number of different reasons. Um, maybe it was hot or whatever the case was. And so he says, because the shirt of the Prophet ﷺ, the button was undone, his collar was open a little bit. And so he says that I put my hand inside of the shirt of the Prophet ﷺ to feel the seal of prophethood with my own hands. So that I could feel the seal of prophethood on his back with my hand. Now... Again, of course, this was something that he had permission to do so. Um, <laughs> right? And, um, but it still tells you that the Prophet ﷺ was a very easygoing person. The Prophet ﷺ was a very easygoing person. He was a very friendly person. And so obviously seeing that this is someone, a Muslim, you know, probably in this scenario, a very recent convert to Islam, a new Muslim, who is very excited, very enthusiastic, especially at the opportunity to be able to meet the Messenger This is somebody who's trying to take and soak everything in. And so he's heard about the seal of prophethood. He has a desire to not only see it, but to be able to touch it with his own hand. And so 
it's even possible that the Messenger وسلم, instead of which would have been even more uh, not only inconvenient but also possibly awkward for the Prophet وسلم, to have to remove his shirt in public in the, in the middle of a group of people. So then the Prophet وسلم, allows him to place his hand inside of his shirt and be able to feel the seal of prophethood with his hand. And again, it shows you the character of the Messenger وسلم, and how he accommodated people. Accommodated people even at sometimes, you know, the violation of his own personal space. And um, <clears throat> one very interesting or beautiful thing that is mentioned in some of the extended narrations is the fact that it is narrated about uh, this individual, Ilyas, and his son, Qurra, that from this, because they had seen the Prophet ﷺ with his shirt unbuttoned, uh, that from that point on, they were always seen that for the rest of their life, they never used to button the top, they never used to close the top button of their shirt. And those are some of the things that we're going to talk about at the end of the session. That is that level of emulation in the dress of the Prophet ﷺ, the objective. At the very least, what I'll tell you right now, is that was, that, that was basically their, that was their representation of their love for the Prophet ﷺ. They had seen the Prophet that one time in their lifetime in a particular manner, and they just chose to do that for the rest of their lives to basically be able to keep that memory of the Messenger. The next hadith, hadith number six. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ بْنُ حُمَيْدٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ الْفَضَلِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا حَمَادُ بْنُ سَلَمَةٍ عن حبيب من شهيد عن الحسن عن أنس بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم خرج وهو يتكئ على أسامة على أسامة بن زيد عليه ثوب قطري قد توشح به فصلى بهم. So this narration is narrated by Anas bin Malik رضي الله تعالى عنه. That the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam came out of his home and he was leaning while walking, he was leaning on Usama bin Zayd. This is the son of the adopted son of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, Zayd bin Haritha. So he was leaning on Usama bin Zayd. And so from that we basically know that this was most likely towards the end of the life of the Prophet sallallahu when his health was... Um, not so well when the Prophet ﷺ was starting to feel a little weak or a little ill. And so he needed some help to walk. And so he was leaning on Usama ibn Zayd, somebody who was very beloved to him. And he describes that the Prophet ﷺ was wearing a garment. So whenever they say thobun, even though in modern Arabic we think of the thobe as the qamis. So it's a little bit of a switch. What is described, what we call a thobe in modern Arabic, in classical Arabic is called the qamis. The thobe itself refers to just an, uh, an open sheet, just a sheet. And so he was wearing like a big sheet. He had a sheet wrapped around him, like a shawl almost wrapped around him. And he describes it as qitri. Qitri was a type of sheet that, was, that came from Yemen. It was a Yemeni garment and it would have some type of a print on it. And so it was a printed Yemeni sheet he was wrapped up in it, and then he says that um, he led us, he led them in prayer. So the Prophet ﷺ came out of his home. <clears throat> he was leaning on Usama ibn Zayd. He was wrapped up in this Yemeni cloth, this Yemeni garment, 
and qatawashahabihi so he he was wrapped up in it and he had it over his shoulders so when it says he was wrapped up it's not like he was wrapped up maybe how somebody would wrap themselves in a towel after taking a bath or something but no he was wrapped up meaning it was from over his shoulders it was wrapped up like how you would wear a shawl <clears throat> and then he led them in the prayer in another narration <clears throat> or rather imam tirmidhi just has some comments in his text, some extra comments. وَقَالَ عَبْدُ بْنُ حُمَيْدٍ قَالَ مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ الْفَضَلِ سَأَلَنِي يَحْيَى بِنْ مَعِينَ عَنْ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَوَّلَ مَا جَلَسَ إِلَيَّ فَقُلْتُ حَدَّثَنَا حَمَادُ بْنُ سَلَمَ فَقَالَ لَوْ كَانَ مِنْ كِتَابِكَ فَقُمْتُ لِأُخْرِجَ كِتَابِي فَقَبَضَ عَلَى ثَوْبِي ثُمَّ قَالَ أَمْلِهِ عَلَيَّ <clears throat> These are just some extra comments from Imam Tirmidhi. He tells a story about some of the narrators of this hadith. So Muhammad ibn al-Fadl, who is the second narrator of the hadith, you see his chain in, a name in the chain of narration, Muhammad ibn al-Fadl, he says <clears throat> that Yahya bin Ma'in, Yahya bin Ma'in is a great scholar of hadith from the uh, second century, um, and he was the teacher, or from the third century, excuse me. He was the teacher of Imam, Imam Bukhari. Yahya bin Ma'in was the teacher of Imam Bukhari. So Muhammad al-Fadl says, uh, Yahya bin Ma'in, when he first came, when he came to me to get this hadith from me, to learn this hadith from me, he first sat down, and so he said, can I please have that hadith from you? Can I learn that hadith from you? And so he says, I started narrating the hadith from memory. I had it memorized. And I started saying, Haddathana Hamad ibn Salama. And so he interrupted me, respectfully, he interrupted me and he said, Shaykh, if you will, um, do you have it written down somewhere? <clears throat> so I said, yes, I do actually have it written down as well. So he says, could you read it to me from where you have it written down? Because I don't want to, I, I want to take the hadith from you from not only just your memory, but I also want to take it from your book, from your writing as well, to further authenticate it. And so he said, sure, absolutely. Let me go and fetch my notebook for you. Let me go and get it. And so he says, I got up and I was about to leave the room. And then he grabbed me by my shirt. And he said that actually I was just thinking that what if you don't make it back? So can you first narrate the hadith to me from memory? Just narrate it to me verbally from memory. And then I'll take it from your book as well. I said, sure. So I sat down. I narrated the hadith to him from my memory. And then I got up and I went and got the book. And then he copied it down from my book as well. And the reason why Imam Tirmidhi mentions this particular story of this narrator is he uses it to demonstrate the fact that this is, number one, how eager they were to learn the ahadith of the Messenger wasallam. This is how eager they were about knowledge in general. And this is particularly how eager they were to learn when it came to Quran and when it came to Sunnah, when it came to the Hadith, when it came to details about the Messenger wasallam. And number three, this also demonstrates the fact that, you know, sometimes we say things like, oh, you never know when you'll pass away, or I don't know if we'll live till that time, you know, insha'Allah, wallahu alam, only Allah knows best. For us, a lot of times it's just... It's, it's almost to the point of being like an Islamic cliche. Right? It's just service. We just say it. These people lived it. They lived, I mean, think about it. And for us a lot of times, again, because of our spiritual conditioning, 
or lack thereof rather, because of our lack of spiritual conditioning, that thought is very overwhelming to us. Like, how would you live life? How, I mean, how do you even live like that? Where at any moment, at any second, constantly you're always thinking that this is it, or this is it, or this is it. But that's our weakness. That is not an unpractical way to live. That is the most practical, the most, you know, if you even think about it, that's the most productive way to live. So you're living every single moment to its fullest. Think about it just in terms of quality. Not even just in terms of spirituality or spiritually, but emotionally. You think about the relationships and how you value your relationships. Think about every single conversation you have with every single person. Where you value it, you cherish it, you do right by it. And those are the values that that early generation lived by, that these pious, righteous scholars they lived with. And it reminds you of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that again, we've heard dozens, maybe hundreds of times. And again, it just kind of gets to the point where we just say it or hear it for the, as a formality. But think about what it actually means when the Prophet ﷺ says, Salli salat That pray as if you are bidding farewell to this world. Pray as if this is your last prayer. That these people really did pray every single salah as if this was their farewell. That they were departing from the world. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to live life in that manner. Hadith number seven. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا سُوَيْدُ بْنُ نَصْرٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ الْمُبَارَكِ عَنْ سَعِيدِ بْنِ إِيَاسَ الْجُرَيْرِ عن أبي نظرة عن أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا استجد ثوبا سماه باسمه عمامة أو قميصا أو رداء ثم يقول اللهم لك الحمد كما كسوتنه أسألك خيره وخير ما صنع له وأعوذ بك من شره وشر ما صنع له Abu Sa'id al-Khudri relates that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, whenever he would wear a new garment, istajadda, whenever he would wear a new garment, he would name that garment specifically in the dua that he would say, whether that garment was a turban or a shirt or a shawl, and he would say, Oh Allah, exclusively for you is the ultimate praise. As you have covered me and granted me this clothing, I ask you, Ya Allah, for the good that is in this clothing and the good that it was made for. And I take protection with you, O Allah, from the evil of this clothing, this garment, and the evil that it was made for. Now to explain the narration, first and foremost, this is one of the ad'iya, ma'thura masnuna. This is one of the du'as of the Prophet ﷺ that we are taught that can be implemented in one's daily life and practice. That the Prophet ﷺ had a specific du'a that he would read or recite whenever he would just dress, whenever he would put on his clothes on a daily basis, when he would dress uh, before leaving his home or in the morning. But this is a specific dua that he would say whenever he put on a new garment or a new clothing. A new article of clothing that was brand new. And that's the word istajadda min jadid, something that is new. So whenever he broke in a new 
article of clothing, a new garment. Now the narration says, Samahu bismihi. He would name it. Now, translation-wise, that can be a little peculiar. I just heard myself. All right? It's not so much that he would give his clothing a name. Right? That's not what it means. But he, what it means is that he would mention the specific article of clothing. There we go. That's a little bit better. He would mention the specific article of clothing. And again, what does that mean that he would mention the specific article of clothing? He would mention it in the dua. Because then the reason why he structures this narration this way, because then he wants to give us the general or the generic form of the dua, the template of the dua, he's giving us the template of the dua. Alright? And then we should, then he tells us that from before, so that we know that basically you plug in whatever that article of clothing is called. Whatever that article of clothing is referred to or whatever it's called, you plug that into the dua. Alright? So let me go ahead now that I've translated just the template of the dua, let me show you how that's done. In Arabic and then I'll tell you in English basically the translation what it means. So in Arabic the way that it would be plugged in, if you look at the word in the text, kasautani he, that he at the end of the word kasautani, that's a pronoun. That pronoun should be replaced with whatever that article of clothing is called. All right. So, for instance, if it was an amama, it was a brand new turban the Prophet had put on. He would say, "Allahumma lak alhamdu." Oh Allah, exclusively for you is the ultimate praise. Kama kasautani hadhil amama. As you have given to me. The um, this this amama this turban to wear as you have granted me this amama this turban to wear. If it was a kamis, he would say alhamdu uh, Allahumma lak alhamdu kama kasoutani hadha al kamis. All right, oh Allah, the ultimate praises for you as you have given me this shirt to wear. If it was a rida hadha rida, so on so forth. So he that's where he would plug in what that article of clothing is called. He would refer to this specific article of clothing. Alright? Now just a little explanation. In the dua, obviously we understand the first part. You're praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a blessing, for a ni'mah, for a gift from Allah. What, what does that exactly refer to that, Oh Allah, I ask you the good of this article of clothing and the good that it was made for. And I take refuge with you, I take protection with you, O oh Allah, from the evil of this garment and from the evil that it was made for, right? So what does that exactly mean? What's good and bad in an article of clothing, right? So obviously what it refers to is the simple fact that allow me to do good when I put on this article of clothing. Allow me to utilize this gift for the performance of good deeds. Allow me to wear this article of clothing and then conduct myself in a manner that is pleasing to you, Ya Rabb. Allow me to, con to behave in a manner that is adherent to your commands and, and avoids or abstains. Allow me to conduct myself in a way, in a manner that avoids or abstains from those things that displease you, that anger you, Ya Allah, that you've forbidden me from doing. And so that's what it's referring to. So again, think about the thought process there. And think about consciousness. This is consciousness. This is awareness, cognizance. This is a really big issue, not obviously in Islam, it's a huge issue. Because this 
in and of itself is what we call taqwa. This is taqwa, this is God consciousness. To always be thinking of Allah. And to always think about what are the implications of what I'm about to do and what I'm doing on my relationship with Allah. What are going to be the repercussions of this uh, on my relationship with Allah and my standing in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And on the, uh, along with that or along those same lines, you know, this idea of consciousness and awareness is another huge issue and a very beneficial issue that is discussed even within psychology. That consciousness and awareness, and now that enhances a person's ability to be able to live and enhances the quality of life of the person. Right? And it gives meaning and purpose, and purpose to a person's life and existence. So this shows you the thought of the Prophet ﷺ. And what a, what a powerful thing the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us here, right? Through this instruction. The other thing that some of the scholars also mentioned in the commentary is the good and the bad that can also come from clothing itself. And again, it shows you the depth of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ and his thought and his teachings. Another element, another, another representation or another outcome that could be good or bad, similarly, is also the, the, the attitude. The attitude that the clothing might inspire within a person and the manner in which a person conducts themselves. As something we're all familiar with again in our day and age, in our times, of brand name clothing, right, and styles and fashions and things of that nature, that a lot of times clothing is directly linked very much to people's arrogance, conceit, how they view other people. Sometimes people don't even know somebody's name, but they've already figured out exactly what brand clothing somebody's wearing. We, we, you know, unfortunately in today's culture, people will look at somebody's shoes before they look at their face. A person's value is gauged by, you know, the things they have. Even accessories, whether it be a phone, a device, or a handbag, a backpack, a purse. Even little things like this. that aren't even articles of clothing. A person's value is completely estimated socially. Think about how tragic that is. And so the good that comes from it is humility. Humility. That allow me to be humble. This article of clothing could be, is brand new. Brand new. And the Messenger وسلم, towards the end of his life, even though he never dressed like a king, like in a very gaudy or flashy manner, but nevertheless, towards the end, towards the end of the life of the Prophet وسلم, with now Islam rapidly growing and spreading, and these delegations coming from far and wide, tribes that are accepting Islam, leaders of tribes, Leaders of entire regions, rulers of entire territories were sending gifts for the Prophet ﷺ. He would give most of them away. He would re-gift them to other people. He would graciously accept it and gift it to somebody. I don't need it. I don't need it. What am I going to do with it? But even then, some of the garments the Prophet ﷺ was seen wearing that we're, going, that we're reading about, these Yemeni shawls that were patterned and red and black threads and green and black threads, these were considered very nice. They're very nice. They were, they, they were very, um, you know, it, it was very exquisite clothing. Like it was very nice, good quality clothing. And especially a breathtaking, handsome person like the Prophet ﷺ, when he put it on, I mean, the Prophet ﷺ was just breathtaking when he put it on. 
And so the Prophet ﷺ is talking about humility. Oh Allah, allow me to remain humble even in this very nice new article of clothing. And never allow me, protect me from ever becoming arrogant. And of course, <clears throat> there's no question of arrogance with the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. But he taught us his dua. Because this is definitely something we struggle with. May Allah protect us. Hadith number 8. This is basically the same as the previous narration. Um, but Imam Tirmidhi Taala brings this narration to again demonstrate the fact that he has another chain of narration that connects to the same exact um, hadith itself. So he's strengthening this hadith by bringing another chain of narration. So the Imam Tirmidhi basically says, حدثنا هشام بن يونس الكوفي قال حدثنا القاسم ابن مالك المزني عن الجريري عن أبي نظرة عن عن أبي سعيد الخدري رضي الله تعالى عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم نحوه the same as the above so نحوه is same as the above Before I go forward to the next hadith, um, I wanted to also mention that the Prophet of Allah also had some other uh, du'as that the Prophet would also recite sometimes or say uh, at the time of wearing clothing and certain du'as that he made for other people as well. Whenever they put on some type of clothing, there's a very, uh, there's a hadith in the Prophet, of, uh, there's a hadith in the Sunnah of Abu Dawood that فَكَانَ أَصْحَابُ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمَ Abu Nadra says that the Messenger of Allah, uh, that the companions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, whenever they would put on a new article of clothing, a dua, when they would see somebody, somebody would come out and he was wearing something nice and new, then they would say to one another, تُبْلَى وَيُخْلِفُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى تُبْلَى وَيُخْلِفُ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى تُبْلَى means, may this garment get worn out. <laughs> right? May this garment get worn out, and then may Allah give you another brand new garment after it becomes worn out. What that dua basically meant was the fact that for the garment to get worn out, obviously it takes quite a bit of wear and tear. So what they're basically saying, they're making dua for what? Right, a long life. May Allah protect you, may Allah preserve you, may Allah give you health, may Allah give you a long life. Tubla, like I'd like to see you wear out this garment. And then may Allah give you another new garment after it gets worn out. So this is a dua they would make for one another. And again, what's very profound, they learned this of course from the Messenger of Allah because one time, the Prophet of Allah um, he this is a hadith in Bukhari, that um, Khalid, Umm Khalid bint Khalid bin Sa'id bin Al-As, she says that the Messenger of Allah was one time brought um, a black shawl. Somebody gifted a black shawl to the Prophet. And the Prophet said, Man Who do you see wearing? Who do you see wearing this black shawl? Somebody came and gifted the Prophet a beautiful black shawl. And so the Prophet said, Who do you see wearing this? Everybody was quiet, right? Because nobody wanted to be like me, right? So everybody was quiet. 
So the Prophet said, Eatuni bi Ummi Khalid. Please go and bring Ummu Khalid. Ummu Khalid was an elderly woman. She was an elderly woman. The Prophet said, Please go and bring her. Fa'utiya bi an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa I was brought to the Prophet and then the Prophet took the shawl and he put it around me himself. He took the shawl and he put it around me himself. And then the Prophet said, Abli wa akhliqi. The Prophet said, May Allah allow you to wear this shawl out. May Allah grant you enough life to wear and tear, wear out this shawl. So they learned this from the Prophet of Allah. Right? And this is, again, such a powerful thing. Again, think about some of the sentiments and some of the attitudes that exist within our community, between people, in society. When somebody comes out wearing something nice and new, what usually happens? Right, there we go. Somebody's being honest, right? Everybody hates on him. Somebody comes out wearing something very nice, you know, sisters wearing something nice and new, very exquisite. Everybody's hating. Everyone's trying to find a flaw. Right? And so there's a lot of jealousy and envy and hatred. And so the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us the remedy for it. This is not just simply the outcome of not having hatred or envy, jealousy. This is the remedy for it. It's found in another hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that if you feel envy or hatred or jealousy towards someone when they have a blessing, the best way to remedy it is go and compliment it. Say mashallah. Compliment it. Make dua for that, for that person and that blessing that they have. So somebody walks in wearing something really nice and new. They look really nice wearing it. For a moment in your heart, you kind of feel like this guy. <laughs> right? You really need, right? Another blazer, right? So you kind of feel that for a second in your heart. Best thing to do, go and say, Mashallah, you look very nice, brother. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase His blessings upon you. Right? And it's gone. Everything, you have nothing. Shaitan's got nothing to play with now. You understand? That's shaitan being put in time out. Right? He's got nothing to play with now. You just took shaitan's toys away. Very powerful. We, we overlook these things. We look at them as simple rituals. Absolutely not. There's such profound depth in the teachings of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And uh, also one, one of the points about this particular dua, that when we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for granting us this article of clothing, we recall and remember the ayah of the Qur'an, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number 26, Ya Bani Adam, qad anzalna alaykum libasan, yuwari sawatikum warishan. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O children of Adam, we gave you clothing. Qad anzalna alaykum libasan. We gave you clothing. It covers your body. Basically, it allows you to not be not expose yourself, right? It covers your private parts. It covers your body. And not only that, but it also serves as a way for you to adorn yourself, beautify yourself, decorate yourself, right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, says, And this is the depth of the Qur'an, 
the multitude of meanings that can be taken from one simple you know, statement from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so powerful, so deep, so profound, so layered, that not only is Allah saying, so then wear clothing that basically involves, basically it, to, when you decide how to dress and what to wear, make sure that taqwa and God consciousness is a part of your decision making process. Wear clothing that represents God consciousness and taqwa. And not only that, but then of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is also telling us that, so if clothing is such an important thing and it covers you and it beautifies you, think about if you were to implement taqwa and God consciousness in your life. Now that would not only just cover your body, that will cover your sins. That will cover your faults. That will cover your internal blemishes on your heart. And that will beautify you with the worship and the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the character of the Messenger sallallahu In a hadith Qudsi, in a sacred tradition, the Prophet sallallahu says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ibadi, O my slaves, kullukum arin. All of you are born without clothing. Illa man kasaytuhu. Except for whom I, who I give clothing to. Fastaksuni aksukum. So you give clothing to other people. Oh my slaves, Allah is saying, you are without clothing. You, can't, you don't have the ability to cover yourself. Look how you were born. Allah is the one that presented or provided clothing for you. Whether it be in the form of people who would put clothing on you. So now you play that role in someone else's life. When somebody is destitute and somebody is poor, doesn't have proper clothing, doesn't have enough clothing, when you are now gracious and generous enough to give clothing to other people, to cover other people, Allah says, I will increase His blessing of even clothing upon you. I will cover you. Alright, so moving forward inshallah, hadith number 9. قال حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا معاذ بن هشام قال حدثني أبي عن قتادة عن أنس بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه قال كان أحب الثياب إلى رسول الله كان أحب الثياب إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يلبسه الحبرة. That Anas ibn Malik رضي الله تعالى عنه relates that the most beloved type of clothing to the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم that he used to regularly wear was الحبرة. Al-Hibara, again, refers to a very, uh, it's basically a, a type of a garment or a sheet, right? It's a sheet or a garment that is made out of cotton. And so a lot of times some of these shawls or some of these garments would be made out of things like camel hair, would be made out of things like wool, right? And so they would be very thick. And therefore it was very hot. It wasn't easy to wear it in the summertime or during the day. So the Prophet ﷺ had this sheet, this garment that was made out of cotton. And so not only did it cover him appropriately, but at the same time it also helped him tolerate the heat. And so for this particular reason, the Prophet of Allah ﷺ used to prefer to wear it. He was very fond of it. The next narration... قال حدثنا محمود محمود بن غيلان قال حدثنا عبد الرزاق قال حدثنا سفيان عن عون ابن أبي جحيفة عن أبيه قال رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وعليه حلة حمراء كأني أنظر إلى بريق ساقيه وقال سفيان أراها حبرة That's a little extra addition that's found in 
some of the editions of Imam Tirmidhi, some of the versions of Imam Tirmidhi's book. So this particular narration, uh, Aun ibn Abi Juhayfa relates from his father Abu Juhayfa radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he says that I saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was wearing a red garment, like a red shawl. And it was, I, it's as if I am still looking at. It is as if I'm still looking at. He's talking about how vivid the memory is. It is as if I can still see how clean, and the word he uses, bariq, barq, refers to some, how clean or how shiny something is. It's as if I can still see the shininess uh, of his shins. That the legs of the Prophet ﷺ were very clean. And overall, like as we talked about before, his body overall just had this certain shine or gleam to it. That there was this nude, like almost like a beauty to his body. So I can see his, I can still remember seeing his legs and the, the shin bone of the Messenger ﷺ. It's like it almost sparked, like it, it shined under the light. And so uh, Sufyan, one of the narrators of this hadith, uh, Sufyan rahimahullahu ta'ala, he says that I, I think that it was the hibara, what was mentioned in the previous narration. And we've already talked about it, that it wasn't like it was just a solid red shawl that the Prophet would wear, but it was actually a black shawl that had red threads. But because what the red threads are more unique, that's what they would remember it with. A black shawl was very common, but the red threads were what were unique, and that's why that's what they remember from it. Hadith number 11 from this chapter. قال حدثنا علي بن خشرم قال حدثنا عيسى بن يونس عن إسرائيل عن أبي إسحاق عن البراء بن عازب رضي الله تعالى عنه قال ما رأيت أحدا من الناس أحسن في حلة حمراء من رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إن كانت جمته لتضرب قريبا من منكبيه براء بن عازب رضي الله تعالى عنه says that I never saw anyone more beautiful, I never saw anyone wearing a red shawl that was more beautiful than the Messenger or that I never saw anyone more beautiful than the Messenger of Allah when he was wearing that red shawl, the black shawl with the red stripes or the red lines on it. And he says, I, I can still remember his hair was so long at that time that it was touching the tops of his shoulder. It was reaching down to his shoulder and it was touching the top of his shoulder. And of course, we've talked about this hadith in a lot of detail before. Hadith number 12. قال حدثنا محمد بن بشار قال حدثنا عبد الرحمن بن مهدي قال حدثنا عبيد الله بن إياد عن أبيه عن أبي رمثة قال رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وعليه بردان أخضران. أبو رمثة رضي الله تعالى عنه says that I saw the messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and he was wearing two green uh, sheets like two green shawls, two green garments. And again, one was like a lower garment that was worn as what's called the izar, where it's wrapped around one's lower body. And then one would be worn over the top of his shoulders as a shawl and he would cover himself with it. All right. And again, we've talked about this before, that it was actually a black shawl that had the green stripes on it or the green threads in it. Hadith number 13. قال حدثنا عبد بن حميد قال حدثنا عفان بن مسلم قال حدثنا عبد الله بن حسان العنبري عن جدته دحيبة وعليبة عن قيلة بنت مخرمة قالت رأيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم 
وعليه أسمال مليتين كانتا بزعفران وقد نقضته وفي الحديث قصة طويلة سو قيلة بنت مخرمة رضي الله تعالى عنها says that I saw the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was wearing two garments that were very worn out. The Prophet ﷺ was wearing two garments that were very worn out. The word asmal refers to garments that have become worn out. Mulayyatain basically refers to a garment that is a solid sheet. So he was wearing two solid sheets. Right, this didn't have any threads in it, it didn't have any design in it, it didn't have any stripes in it. So it's, it was very simple clothing, just two very plain sheets, solid plain sheets. He was wearing them, again in the same manner where one was wrapped around his lower body, and the one was worn on top as a covering, as a shawl. And they were worn out, alright, they were very worn out. And she says that, كَانَتَ بِزَعْفَرَانِ They had previously been dyed or been colored with saffron. But now the saffron was basically gone. Alright? So there's a few things that have to be explained here. First and foremost, number one, why is the Messenger of Allah it's a question possibly somebody could have, why is the Messenger of Allah wearing these worn out garments? This was the simplicity of the Messenger This was simplicity. He didn't just wear something a couple of times, and been, you know, and then throw it away. Right? Again, this is gonna be a little bit of a shame grenade um, for myself and possibly for a lot of people. I apologize if this offends somebody. I'm just reminding myself and if this benefits and helps somebody else as well. It's always fascinated me when we will, we have walk-in closets. Do you understand like, when you read the, de the definitions or the dimensions of the apartment of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, it's very likely that a lot of people today, a lot of us, our closets are larger than the Prophet home was. And so we have these walk-in closets. And again, we thank Allah for His blessings, right? There's no shame in having blessings. But here's the problem. We will walk, and it's got clothing on both sides, right? You have to maximize space. So it's got clothing on both sides. So we will walk in on one side, thumbing through everything. And we'll get to the end, and then we'll walk back around the other side, going through everything. We will come back out at the other end. And the words that then come out of our mouth are, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> I had nothing to wear. Ajib. Right? I mean, very, very bizarre. So the Messenger of Allah was, he was the king of all mankind. Right? The leader of all mankind. And the Messenger of Allah was a very simple man. He picks up these two sheets. It's not torn, it's not dirty, it's not gone ragged, it's washed, it's clean. You can tell it's, had, it's got a few miles on it, but that's okay. 
And he wears it. And she remembers him wearing it. Right? And then one of the things she says is the second, the, the, I should go ahead, I was wanting to comment on this later. At the end of the comment there on the narration, it says, وَفِي hadithi قِصَّةٌ tawila." There's a long story within the hadith. And we're going to see a part of the hadith later on. The part of the hadith that I want to share with you here, that just, it, it and how it adds to what we've just read here in this particular narration. Qayla, in the narration she says, she walked into the room. The Prophet was wearing these two solid plain sheets that looked like they had a few miles on them, worn out. And he was sitting on the ground. And when she walked in and saw the Prophet ﷺ, he was so captivating and breathtaking. She was so overwhelmed by looking at him that she started to shake. She started to freak out. And the Prophet ﷺ told her, Askini, calm down, relax. And she says that the second those words came out of his mouth because of his tone, skinny, how gentle he was, how soft he was, how loving and compassionate he was. And also she says that the miracle of even the words of the Prophet ﷺ, the second those words came out of his mouth, just this very calm effect, this sakina, just washed over me. And I became extremely calm. Completely the opposite. Extremely calm and I sat down in the presence of the Messenger And this is what she remembers. This is what he looked like on that day. Right? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet told her, calm down. One of the things I wanted to point out, uh, one mas'ala, one issue of fiqh that comes up in this particular narration. The Prophet in a hadith, he forbids men from wearing clothing that has been dyed with saffron. The Prophet in a narration forbids men from wearing clothing that has been dyed with saffron. Now she says that this clothing had been dyed, had been colored with saffron, but then she does mention the effects were gone. Basically just had a little bit of stain left and maybe being familiar with the dyeing of clothes and maybe what the stain of saffron looks like after a few washes. She had the eye where she, she had a trained eye where she was able to tell once upon a time, it's this cloth, this garment looks like it was stained or it was dyed with saffron. I can see kind of the stains on the edges of it. But at that point in time, it did not actively have any saffron on it, right? Because that's something the Prophet uh, in a narration, tells men not to do. And then the last thing I wanted to mention here in the chain of narration actually, just kind of something to point out. A lot of times people have questions about things like this and these are some very interesting nuances. If you look in the chain of narration, the first one that Imam Tirmidhi narrates from is Abd ibn Humaid. Then he narrates from Affan bin Muslim. He narrates from Abdullah ibn Hassan al-Ambari. This third narrator, Abdullah ibn Hassan al-Ambari, narrates this hadith from his grandmothers, from both of his grandmothers, Duhayba and Ulayba. So it goes to show you a lot of times people have questions about women narrating a hadith and being scholars, that they most definitely were. <clears throat> and the second thing that it also tells you is that 
the teaching of hadith and the teaching of Quran, this was something that was done in the family, that was done in the home. You had grandparents sitting and giving, teaching hadith and giving a chain of narration to their grandchildren. Right? So it's a very, very interesting and very beautiful thing. Hadith number 14. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا قُتَيْمَةُ بْنُ سَعِيدٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا بِشُرُ بْنُ الْمُفَضَّلِ عَنْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ عُثْمَانِ إِبْنُ خُثَيْمِ عَنْ سَعِيدِ بْنُ جُبَيْرَ عَنْ إِبْنِ عَبَّاسٍ رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم عليكم بالبياض من الثياب عليكم بالبياض من الثياب ليلبس ليلبسها ليلبسها أحياؤكم وكفنوا فيها موتاكم فإنها من خير ثيابكم أو كما قال عليه الصلاة والسلام This is again now a hadith قولي So typically in the chapter about the clothing of the Prophet ﷺ you would typically expect that there would mostly be narrations observing the Prophet ﷺ أحاديث فعلية but this is a hadith qawli in this chapter where Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah relates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that you should wear white clothing. You should wear white clothes. You should dress, basically he's saying that the living should wear it and it should be used to shroud your dead. The living amongst you should wear it and the dead from amongst you, those who die or pass away from amongst you should be shrouded in white clothing similarly. Because he says, فَإِنَّهَا مِنْ خَيْرِ ثِيَابِكُمْ This is the best of your clothing. This is the best of your clothing. We see that the Prophet ﷺ had this certain fondness for white clothing. Now what exactly is the wisdom or the reason behind it? So again, I'll go ahead and just kind of mention this. We're going to be reading in, this, in the next couple of narrations. And that will allow us to basically go through them quickly. Um, that the Prophet ﷺ in another narration, he says that because white clothing is, more, is cleaner and more pure. It is cleaner and more pure. Alright? So that's the first reason the Prophet ﷺ provides that practically speaking, it's more clean and more pure. Now somebody could be thinking, no, actually white clothes get dirty. That's exactly his point. The Prophet ﷺ is saying if you wear white clothing, you know exactly when you're clean and not clean. You know when it's time to change or not change. If you're wearing black clothing all the time, then mashallah. <laughs> right? Black clothing is everything. It's uh, your work clothes and your workout clothes and you're working on the car clothes and it's like an adult bib, right? It's got everything on there. It's got everything on there, right? Somebody who's been wearing a little too many black thobes, um, we should do have like a little CSI with their black thobe. <laughs> 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 I guarantee you're going to find a lot of unpleasant things on there, right? Because you can ride that bad boy out, right? <laughs> I feel bad because we have a couple of brothers who are wearing black thobes. <laughs> I feel like I called them out. Not you. You're the exception, right? But when you're wearing white clothing, everything's right here, okay? Everything's on display. So if you get food on your shirt, it's right there. It's going to force you to wash your shirt. Right? If you get, you know, if it starts to get filthy, it's going to force you to remove it and wash it. You understand? So the Prophet is kind of saying, look, develop good habits, good hygiene. And so at that time, because there was actually 
Again, not, not because وَالْعَيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ ثُمَّ الْعَيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ That the Sahaba were like not clean people or unhygienic people. Of course not. وَالْعَيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ Right? But the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum were people living through some very severe conditions. Very severe conditions. These were people who were tortured. They were persecuted. They were homeless. They wouldn't have anything to eat for days and weeks. Right? They had simple one single article of clothing. That's all they owned in the entire world. Right? So they went through some very difficult situations. And so obviously, if somebody's going through a tough time, a black shirt is your best friend. Right? It's just practical. But what the Prophet ﷺ is now teaching them, that look, alhamdulillah, now that we're settled, we're here in Medina, right? Make sure you don't fall into some bad habits. He's just teaching, he's teaching us. Make sure you don't fall into some bad habits. Very conveniently, you can just put on that same shirt, keep wearing it. That no, wear white. Because it'll force you to, you know, be conscious of whether you're clean or not. Right? And then you'll wash accordingly and you'll take care of yourself appropriately. Right? So that's <clears throat> part of one of the wisdoms of the Prophet recommending this. A second thing uh, that is mentioned here, that, that the scholars mention, that why the Prophet is recommending this white clothing, is that the Messenger of Allah tells us himself. He tells us himself in the narration that we just read. Hadith number 14 of this chapter. He's saying that those who are the living amongst you should wear it and then shroud those who have passed away. So now creating again that daily reminder that if it becomes a standard practice in the community like it is a lot of times in our communities that the kafan, the shroud for those who have passed away are typically white sheets of clothing and then you wear white clothing quite often. And every time you wear it, you remind yourself that I very well might be putting on my own coffin, my own shroud. Then it's a reminder of death, a very practical reminder of death. Right? And so again, that's the wisdom of it. Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu used to prefer to wear white clothing. And he would wear two sheets. Right, you would have the izar, the lower garment, and then the, the white sheet on top to cover his upper body. And he used to mostly wear these two white garments. And part of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala wasiyah was that when the day I die, whenever, whichever day I die, the day I die, bury me in the two same, same white sheets that I'm wearing. The same two white garments that I'm wearing. He said, don't cut like some brand new white cloth for me. He said the living are more deserving of new clothing. So it's like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala used to wake up every morning and put on his kafir. Something very interesting you learn from scholars and ulama, teachers, right? You learn from them that this has to at some point for us move beyond lip service. Has it become a reality, a practical part of our lives? That I remember not one, many of our teachers I saw them that they, whenever they would travel, so you don't think about what are your necessary things that you pack when you travel. And because of being scholars and ulama, they would travel quite frequently, quite often, sometimes going there to give a talk, going there to give a lecture, going there to give a dars, going there to teach something, 
a conference, whatever the case may be. So you travel. So think about what your necessities are when you travel. You gotta have your little, you know, hygiene bag, all your toiletries. You gotta have your headphones, right? You gotta have, you know, whatever, whatever that you have to have. Just the things that are standard and then you decide whatever you wanna wear, how many days you're going accordingly. One of their staple things that will always stay in their luggage, just like we always keep whatever, a hairbrush or a toiletry bag and a, you know, a pair of headsets, a headphones in our, in our luggage, we always keep it in there. They would always keep a coffin in their luggage. They used to always travel with a shroud, white sheets, always. They always had it with, it was, they, had, they had already cut up they themselves with their own hands had cut white, white cloth for themselves that was kept in their home. This is my coffin. I've cut it myself. The type of pride we take in terms of like, you know, making some art in our home or building something ourselves, some shelves in our home, the type of pride we take. They put that same type of energy into the fact I have cut my own shroud for myself. I mean, it's a different mindset. It's a different mindset. I mean, same thing, even just personal effects, like when you go anywhere, when you leave your home, right? Think about the things you check your pockets for when you leave your home. Your wallet, keys, phone, right? Just a few things you always gotta have. Wallet, keys, phone. And so I saw with our teachers again, that one of the things they always picked up when they left, they had their wasiya, they had like their will written. One of my teachers in his wallets, like you always have your driver's license and your credit card. Those are like the two fixtures in your wallet. They have slots, fixed slots, your ID and your credit card. The third fixed slot was where his wasiya was. His will. Right? It's a reality. It's a practical reality. And that's something that the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us here as well. All right, and Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the hadith of Bukhari, of course he says, Ataytu Nabiya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa alayhi thawbun abiyad. I came to visit the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he was wearing white clothes himself. The next narration, we'll wrap this up here inshallah. Hadith number 15, Qala haddathana Muhammad ibn Bashar, Qala haddathana Abdurrahman ibn Mahdi, Qala haddathana Sufyan an Habib ibn Abi Thabit, عن ميمون ابن أبي شبيب عن سمرة بن جندب رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ألبسوا البياضة فإنها أطهر وأطيب وكفنوا فيها موتاكم The Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم سمرة بن جندب رضي الله تعالى عنه May Allah be pleased with him He says that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم Peace and blessings be upon him He said Wear white clothing Because it is more pure and more clean and also shroud your dead in white clothing. Hadith number 16. قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَحْمَدُ بْنُ مَنِيعٍ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يَحْيَى إِبْنُ زَكَرِيَا إِبْنِ أَبِي زَائِدَ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبِي عَنْ مُسْعَبِ عَنْ مُسْعَبِ إِبْنِ الشَّيْبَ عَنْ صَفِيَّةِ بِنْتِ شَيْبَ عَنْ عَائِشَةِ رضي الله تعالى عنها قالت خرج رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ذات غدات وعليه مرت من شعر أسودة The mother of the believers Aisha رضي الله تعالى عنها she says 
that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, one morning, early, early morning, Ghadat is early morning, As-Sabah al-Bakir. One early morning, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he came out from his home and he was wearing a very big shawl. He was wearing a very big shawl that was made from black hair of an animal. And so basically, it's pretty self-explanatory. The word mirt, uh, specifically, like I said, it refers to a longer shawl. That's one that's a little bit longer. And then this shawl basically was made from like the skin of an animal. And so it was made from like black hair, black fur, black hair of an animal, like goat or something like that. All right. And so again, it was early morning. The relevance of this is, of course, you see the Prophet ﷺ wearing a black shawl. And the other thing, it was early in the morning, so it was probably cold. And so that's why the Prophet ﷺ was wearing something a little thicker, a little bit better to wear in the cold. And it was larger as well, so he could wrap it around himself, maybe even twice, right, to protect himself from the cold. The last narration of this chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يُوسُفُ بْنُ عِيسَى قال حدثنا وكيع قال حدثنا يونس بن أبي إسحاق عن أبيه عن الشعب عن عروة بن المغيرة ابن شعبة عن أبيه أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لبس جبة رومية ضيقة الكمين. so عروة بن مغيرة بن شعبة narrates from his father مغيرة بن شعبة one of the uh, major companions, senior companions of the Prophet ﷺ. He would travel with the Prophet ﷺ very frequently. So he narrates that the Messenger of Allah ﷺ wore a, an overcoat. The Prophet ﷺ wore an overcoat that was from Rome, a Roman overcoat that had very tight, narrow sleeves. It had very tight, narrow sleeves. All right? Now to explain the significance of this, this narration demonstrates the fact that the Prophet ﷺ also sometimes wore outer garments. Aside from what he was just wearing as clothing, he would wear outer garments. And this was one of the things that he wore. Jubba basically refers to almost like what we call like an abaya, like an overcoat. Alright? Like a trench coat type of thing. Alright? So the Prophet ﷺ was wearing something kind of like a trench coat, like an overcoat. And it was from Rome, it was Roman. And again, this might sound silly to somebody, but nevertheless, if you've traveled or you've spent some time uh, even overseas, then you'll understand exactly why such a clarification would be necessary and why the Messenger of Allah in his wisdom would do this even 1400 years ago, that the Prophet wore an article of clothing that was not native to the area where he was from. Knowing the Prophet ﷺ knew the fact that people would not put enough thought into understanding that whatever, yes, when the Messenger of Allah ﷺ does something, of course it does give it a certain amount of validity, validates it, of course, he's a Messenger ﷺ. But still not understanding that whatever the Messenger ﷺ wore and whatever the Sahaba wore in that region, the cultural clothing was obviously non-Muslim clothing before the Messenger ﷺ. And he wore it, right? And therefore, yes, validated it. But then he knew that later on people would not understand that fact. And so then they would possibly start to create a divide between Muslim clothing and non-Muslim clothing. What do Muslims wear? What do non-Muslims wear? Like what do Muslims wear? What do Muslims not wear? And there, I'm here in the closing comments, I'm going to comment on just very briefly on some of those things. But they wouldn't define that based on the characteristics of the clothing, more so just on the cultural background of the clothing itself. 
right? The regional representation of the clothing. And so the Prophet ﷺ, in his prophetic wisdom, he wears a Roman overcoat. That was very clearly seen and identified as being Roman cultural clothing. Again, to demonstrate to us and to teach us that there is no such thing as Muslim, non-Muslim clothing in terms of what region it originates from or represents. Right? But the definitions of Muslim or non-Muslim clothing are something else completely. One other little nuance that I'll mention here is that this had tight or narrow sleeves. And that again shows some diversity. Because the qamis of the Prophet had more open sleeves. So again, just so that nobody would again try to say that, well, having open sleeves is somehow more Islamic than having buttons on your sleeves or closed sleeves is not a thing. But the Prophet wore this overcoat that did have narrow sleeves, tight sleeves. Alright? And what's actually narrated about that is that this was during the Battle of Tabuk, the journey for the campaign of Tabuk, towards the end of the life of the Prophet because they were traveling, right? And so the Prophet had this overcoat. And so when he stopped, Mughira bin Shu'bah in another narration says that when the Prophet we stopped and he had to make wudu, and he was wearing this overcoat, now it had small sleeves. So when he tried to, it wouldn't go up, right? So now we learn one thing is that, you know, that in and of itself, the fact that you can't make wudu with it, doesn't make it in an invalid form of clothing, number one. And number two, what, we, what the Prophet does next, teaches us that your sleeve being a little narrow to the point where it maybe doesn't go up to where you have to make wudu, does not become a valid reason to do masah over your sleeve. But what the Messenger of Allah did was that he took his arm out, he took his arm out from the coat, Right, he took basically took the coat off, and then he made wudu. And when he was done making wudu, then he put it back on. Right. So we learn a lot from just how the Prophet would conduct himself and manage himself. So now, just the closing comments that I wanted to make here is that Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala in the Quran specifically says something very powerful again in Surah Al-A'raf, ayah number thirty-two. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet say, announce, who, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ It's like a question. It's a rhetorical question. سُؤَالْ inkari. It's a rhetorical question basically rejecting the idea. Who dare? Who has the right to make something forbidden that God has created for His slaves. And that, that is pure, and God has provided it, provided as a form of sustenance for His slaves. And the word rizq, as we learn, doesn't only refer to food, it refers to anything Allah gives you. Anything that a human being benefits from is a part of their rizq. So Allah is saying, who dare? Who has the right? No one has the right. That as long as something is correct and it's pure, it's sought and attained properly, it's sought and attained appropriately, that then nobody has the right to make it forbidden. Nobody has the right to make it forbidden. And so, generally speaking, you know, I kind of gave this comment after the session a couple of nights ago, a couple of sessions ago, where we talked about the hair of the Messenger that the Prophet growing his hair out longer, does that in and of itself become a sunnah? Like a recommended practice? No, it doesn't. That's a personal preference. And as we see, there were companions at the time of the Prophet that would keep their hair short or shave their head or whatever. 
right? But at the same time, if somebody does do it in emulation, in love of the Prophet ﷺ, that's good for them. They will be rewarded for their love. Not so much the fact that they have long hair. They won't get reward that they have long hair. They'll get reward because they love the Messenger ﷺ. But in and of itself, it doesn't become like something that is to become a standardized practice within the community. The same thing is about the clothing of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ through all these different narrations, we see he teaches us some general things about clothing. Number one, one should be modest in their clothing. Make sure you cover your body appropriately. And modesty in clothing is not just covering what is necessary. Like for instance, for men, we know that it's from the navel, from the belly button to the bottom of the knee. But then covering as much as possible. To be modest and to be appropriate. Alright? The second thing the Prophet ﷺ teaches us is to be clean. Cleanliness is very important. The third thing the Prophet ﷺ teaches us is simplicity. Don't be vain and extravagant. Wear whatever God gives you. Be simple. There's a certain beauty and simplicity that is very overlooked in our times. In a hadith, the Prophet says, Simplicity is from faith. Simplicity is from faith, from iman. So he teaches us simplicity, modesty. Right? He teaches us modesty, he teaches us cleanliness, he teaches us simplicity, he teaches us professionalism. Longer sleeves, closing of his buttons. Teaches us professionalism in how you dress and how you wear your clothes. The Prophet ﷺ would wear whatever Allah provided. He had a black shawl with green stripes, a red shawl with red stripes, plain sheets of clothing, two white sheets, two white garments, a shirt, a qamis that was provided for him, whatever. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ wore whatever he had. And there are the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ pretty much summarizes it. Imam Bukhari mentions this in his Sahih. Where the Prophet ﷺ, he says, Kulu washrabu walbasu. Kulu washrabu walbasu. Eat, drink, wear clothes, watasaddaqu. And then also remember to give charity. How powerful is that concept? I understand the connection between eating and drinking, wearing clothes. Meaning enjoy yourself, enjoy the blessings of God. But then he says, watasaddaqu. Don't forget to give charity. So what, from what you eat, from what you drink, from what you wear, also give charity. So he says, eat, drink, wear clothes, give charity. Just remember two things. Min ghayri israf, don't be excessive or extravagant. Wala makhila. And do not be arrogant and boastful and proud. Don't be arrogant, boastful, proud. Right? Those are the definitions, those are the rules. Some of the other things the Prophet ﷺ has told us, he's told us to be modest, as I mentioned before. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, certain things, certain rules are specific. He's commanded men. The Prophet ﷺ forbade men from wearing silk. So that's something we don't do. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, and that pretty much is it. So don't be excessive. Don't be boastful and arrogant. Men don't wear silk. That's it. So this idea, this battle of you know clothing 
and what it represents and its representation of piety or lack thereof and this clashing of cultures. This is all immature. This is all immature. This is immaturity. But remember what I said before. What we learned from the Messenger is modesty, simplicity, cleanliness. Those are the keys. And as long as we maintain that, Alhamdulillah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again give us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta,